0: The Better Business Analysis Institute. presents the Better Business Analysis Podcast with Benjamin Walsh. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Better Business Analysis Podcast with Benjamin Walsh. And today we're going to get to a topic which is uh, often left to the side, done notoriously badly by BAs, uh, sometimes done by uh, architects, uh sometimes list uh listed in a kind of a checklist and have caused more um product application failures than you know anything to do with the functional side and they are non-functional requirements okay so they're the unsung heroes of tech uh the non-functional requirements and we're going to dive into what they actually are There is debate in the borderline uh, sometimes, and we're going to talk about them. And, you know, this realm is often shrouded in mystery. Um, It's a world where speed and security and even the happiness of your users hang in the balance. Okay? Uh, And the savior, the overlooked corner or hero, is doing non-functional requirements well. Um, I do get asked about them quite a bit. And we do focus a lot when we talk about agile or we talk about, you know, getting things out the the door or a typical day in the life of a BA, Uh, you're looking at jobs to be done and you look at the functions, right? You look at the features, you look at the, the functional requirements of getting from A to B, but we often the getting from A to B is important. Yes, it is and you know you might have preferences around ux and ui and we'll, we'll touch on that in terms of where that sits in terms of categorization of requirements but a great example is have you ever gone to a website i know i've been on the opposite end i've built a website and then it's bloody slow isn't then you know there's nothing more frustrating than a slow website to kick users off and there's you know plenty of stats around how long it needs to take, and less than two seconds is the is the common term, which I'm sure will get shorter. If users aren't seeing content on your website loading appropriately within two seconds, they are going to move on. And it's even more frustrating when you don't have choice. So, like a government website, um, you know, you maybe submit a form, and then you wait, and now, and then, and and if things go wrong, there is a, a mistake. Uh, then sometimes you go back to the form with, your, with all your information and then you need to submit again. And that if that happens in a payment collection screen, for example, you can start to think, hmm, when I clicked submit the first time and the page started to spin, was it taking my money? And now if I click submit again, am I now doing a double purchase? These are the kind of questions that users end up having when things aren't working well. And it's not just around speed. So what are non-functional requirements? If you're a BA, uh, I want you to think of a definition. I'll give you a few seconds to think of that. What is a non-functional requirement? Um, And a good enough answer isn't everything that isn't functional. Despite the fact that that's usually the yardstick, it's everything else that might come up. Non functional requirements are, and I'm not going to give you a, a formal definition. You can actually go onto Wikipedia or, or just Google that. But they're simply, I just want to explain what they are in a conceptual uh, way because I think that's easy to remember. They're simply the how behind the what. Okay, so they tell us not what the system does, but how it should do it. And there are actually clear categories of uh, non-functional requirements uh, definitely come from the Togloff world, which is the architecture world, one of the bodies of knowledge there. And we are talking about speed, security, usability, and reliability. There are more, but they they kind of are categorized into these higher-level buckets. And so you can actually start to have a bit of a... Uh, it's not hard to um, prompt yourself, is if you have these high-level... Um, non-functional requirement categories you can start to prompt yourself and and you can actually ask users more importantly is it important that the that this um that the information you get um or this process happens uh straight away or is it overnight they'll always say straight away but you can push them on the cost of that if you're working on a web app then you know obviously you want fast feedback to users but for example if you are taking data a data feed which you get once a day uh, and you're wanting to get that into the database it look it might not matter uh whether or not that's done daily for example as opposed to hourly um that process overnight could be okay um or otherwise you know it's gonna cost more to build tech that uh works on a hourly basis uh one of the other things around if we just go down that rabbit hole with cloud computing, is that you're paying for uh, computing power now. So non-functional requirements uh, and the relationship with the cost, the ongoing cost of your solution, are really important. And I've seen a number of cloud implementations across government and the private sector where people have moved to cloud and non-functional requirements haven't been captured. So they've simply just taken the application they had on-prem or pseudo-on-prem or a SaaS provider and brought it onto PaaS, and they've moved. Let's just say, if you don't know what those acronyms mean, uh, we'll go through those. But effectively, you've taken your application, which might have been old, and you've moved to the cloud version. You've moved over all the functions and data that you need, and you go success, and and you should pat yourself on the back because that's easier said than done. But then suddenly you haven't captured how much it costs to uh, um, hold that information, and you're like, oh, we've got enough. We've bought enough uh, storage, just like your OneDrive, your Google Drive. But actually, if you're running on an enterprise piece of software, there's transactions that happen. So you're sending information from one system to another, and you'll find that that is charged, and that can be very expensive. Transactions uh, become uh, can become exponentially expensive, depending on how often you're running those. So any of those kind of speed to run processes really need to be written down in your requirements matrix um in your backlog you know as a card uh, as a user story if you like um they need to be in there and I would even suggest writing epics for these high level non-functional categories and then stories around them they do need to be captured and you might think well that doesn't matter uh you know it's not as important as getting you know our new crm system um maybe our in-house crm system onto the cloud because we've got a reduced kit and we're going to you know, host it in the cloud and it's going to be great and everyone can access it. But um, if that CRM system has an integration point, for example, with another cloud provider, then you're paying what's called aggress fees or fees to send information in and out of the system. And they are expensive. So if you're running that, um, you used to run it on prem. It didn't matter. You're running it you know, all the time, every second. If you move that to the cloud, you are now paying a per second charge for um for that transfer uh, and the systems that control that and i've seen people literally you know quote a system for a couple of million dollars maybe five million dollars of implementation costs and their um operational costs for just transactions just for sending information in and out of systems um be moved from say maybe zero a hundred thousand to five million so you know, and and they didn't, but they didn't budget for that. That was never uh, catered for in the uh, capital or or project costs. So no one ever talked about that. Uh, so you've got to be really careful with that. And that non-functional requirements are uh, becoming there's a bit of a trend to you know be hot on this again uh, because of cloud computing. Um, even though we should have always been hot on this. Okay, so non-functional requirements are simply the how behind the what. Um, uh let's say we talk about and that in the different categories you can um there's actually some really good templates out out there for going through here uh if you look at cloud assessment uh matrix um they're actually a really good starting point um I actually have one that I've used uh in new Zealand we have the um we have the Department of internal affairs or the the i can't remember what the American equivalent is or the British one but it's effectively the um the government department that looks at looks at internal issues um and internal things and they uh, as a result uh, they set standards sometimes for how other government departments um or you know the government the new zealand uh, will interact or what systems we're allowed to have or not uh, for example you know if there's a security threat um you know if there's any hosting overseas for example from a kind of a spine network point of view and they put out early actually a cloud assessment tool, just an Excel spreadsheet, which had a whole lot of non-functional requirements, and it kind of made you think a really, really, really good starting point for in these categories. But a whole lot of questions like um, you know um, the time it takes for a transaction to go through uh, in terms of security. It was like does it um, does the system allow multi, multi, uh, center, multi-factor authentication, uh, two FA, all of that uh stuff that that's the requirements i'm talking about and actually you know um multi-factor authentication or two if if you like which means that you've got two ways of authenticating who you are um you would have experienced which is you log into a new website um the website goes you know into your phone number they send you a code you enter the code in so they know that you're you're not only the person who is on the website you're also the person with the phone number And so those two things, two things, multi-factor or two, usually they use two, um, as opposed to thousands, um, those two things validate uh, who you are, and it makes it more secure next time you log on. So you create an account, and then no one can uh, copy who you are unless they've got both your mobile device, two devices of yours, and so that uh, can increase uh, the security around your account. Now that won't happen that there's there's some there's some setup costs involved in setting that up and some cloud providers make it easier than others and that whole kind of process of logging in getting a code getting it sent to your phone you know that's that's work and if you haven't included that in your requirements as a ba it won't be done you know it'll just be a username and password uh, so you have to explicitly ask for it so um that's a great example of a non-functional requirement that that would hit most people today Uh, even things around the complexity around the the password and you know making x amount of characters long uh which again is a security requirement that's a non-functional requirement so a non-functional requirement is anything that uh that you're it's connected to a what. so you don't have non-functional requirements that aren't uh just out in the ether they're connected to a greater um process step you're trying to perform but it's like are there any business rules or any how rules that you need to worry about uh, when that step happens so the best thing to do um, is to focus on your process levels as you're running your requirements and then you go okay well this step is logging in for example and you might go down lower and you might have some screens you go what do we need to worry about in terms of logging in uh, look at the checklist go, okay well these you know there's lots of applications I've done this before what are a list of non-functional requirements i need to worry about well okay well i need to think about multi uh, factor authentication i need to think about password resets uh which is a function by the way uh so not there might be non-functional requirements there which is not to include um the email address from security point of view in the email these a lot of these can um non-functional requirements also Can come from your development team so they can just they just do it by default some of these things even though you don't ask ask them so you need a conversation uh i've once for example we're doing an mvp which was an internal um uh, an internal piece of um, kit an application Uh, we just wanted to test it i didn't really care about the function around multi-factor authentication at this point we could have added that later um uh, you know it was an internal system it was already uh, there's something called sso as well which is single uh, uh, single sign-on which is uh, allowing your credentials from your um i guess active directory or your security system that controls who you are uh your uh, identity management system for it to um you only have to log in once and then say for example you logged onto the corporate network and then when you use this application it takes your details and knows you are who you are. And so you don't need to sign it at all. So all those features. Anyway, I wasn't explicit about not wanting those features to start off with. And I there was a delay in terms of getting this application out the door uh to show people. And I just wanted a simple uh kind of username and password. And actually the devs, when I examined uh the work they had done and they demoed it to me, I realized they had implemented those features. And you could say that's great, and it would have been fantastic uh as they brought that up with me uh but actually they were trying some new stuff they wanted to do it and so if you're not explicit about these things sometimes your devs can actually just go and do them or do the wrong thing um, and in that case you know maybe i should have said out of scope uh for this piece of work or i won't have requirement would have been a bit uh, for me to manage that i should have done a won't have requirement said Multi-factor authentication and single signer just won't won't have requirements for now Um, and make it really explicit that I'm not having those things. So some of those non-functional requirements, your architect, definitely your architect and your devs may even implement or worry about those non-functional requirements and do them for you. So uh, being a BA, you you should really be leading those through. They should be things that your uh, end user has thought about that you've raised with them. Uh, It usually does come from bottom up uh, as opposed to them asking for it. Uh, they um, A lot of times people won't ask, for example, um, we'll just assume that your website's going to work fast. Now, the technical team might know that because you've got a lot of features on your website, for example, you know, a low, uh, a very simple kind of content management system, WordPress, for example, which is a, a system you can use to make websites, uh, it's notoriously gets slow as you add more and more features, plugins, they call it, because there's a whole lot of code that runs Uh, And it doesn't necessarily need to run. They call it bloatware. And so you install this and actually it's fantastic for making a quick website. But then as you add more and more features, the speed drops. And without someone who knows what they're doing and without optimizing it, their website could be very slow at the end. Now, your customer may not be happy about that and they may not have asked for it to be fast. So you as a BA need to prompt these questions. You need to think about these things. Okay, I hope that's clear now the other thing about uh non-functional requirements is that they are they impact your everyday life okay so we talked about the example of a slow website for online shopping right like if you went to a website uh maybe it's not like the ebay or trade in new zealand where or uh, gumtree in the uk those websites where um, you would go to them anyway, and if they were slow, then they were. You knew they were so big that they'd probably resolve the issue. But say you went, your friend recommended you going to I don't know a local uh, website to look up some crafts or some I don't know jewelry they were making, and you went to their website and it took you know a good three minutes to load. Uh, you might think about um, not visiting there again. It could just put you off, especially if it was uh, just a favor you were doing again if that website was slow and you went to the checkout and you clicked pay and then it took two minutes to load or and you know and you moved on you might get worried that your payment uh, uh hasn't been successful uh and things like that um it, it it isn't it isn't true that just because the website's slow there might be more bugs or functions that are not working or more, you know other other things wrong with the website for example like security but it does mean that they that whoever's been involved in that hasn't thought about these non-functional requirements and there can be a perception for example with speed that if a website is slow uh you know is there something wrong and therefore there could be security concerns about the website okay uh security another area of non-functional requirements is huge at the moment um, I have, a obviously the, uh, Better Business Analysis Institute, we have a website and I get, well, I get so many people signing up and that's great. Thank you listeners. Uh, but not all of them are real people. Uh, some of them are bots. Some of them are, um, effectively people that are trying to create fake accounts to see if they can get content. Probably most of it might be a little bit, you know, just scraping our website for content, but there could be, well, people in there who are trying to hack the website, probably mainly spammers who are trying to spam on, on our content, uh, but they could also hack the website and bring it down or try and find payment details. Now, we have quite a lot of security um, plugins, actually, because it is, it is running on WordPress, um, but which we've got advice on. That blocks that. And then we have you know examples where IP addresses are blocked, which are the unique ID you get when you log into the internet. Uh, It's not file safe because people use things called VPNs, virtual private networks, to mask their IP address. But um, we have some automatic uh, spam blocking. Now, that's hard because you're making it... To put in spam blockers and capture, which can be annoying when you have to say whether or not, you know, how many... uh, Please pick the traffic light and you're not sure if that one square has the traffic light or it doesn't have the traffic light. All that, all of that, um kind of extra functional work you have to do is driven by the non-functional requirement of security, and so you know there are some times where non-functional um requirements are driving functional uh, changes and that's a bit annoying and i th- I would say I'll give the example of the fact that you know the few are effectively wrecking it or making it more difficult for us to do some simple things uh, and there's a constant um evolution, and I can see some great evolution from Microsoft and Google lately're using passcode, for example, where you have one code to get into your computer and then you can use that again and again with websites without holding a password, which is a functional way of dealing with a security problem but also the problem of you having to reset passwords all the time uh, so that's fantastic but i 'll take another example we just take it out of IT for a second um, is the airport. And um, for example, you know, there were a couple of some obviously some serious terrorist uh, incidents, specifically, you know, some larger ones like 9-11 and and in the UK, I think it was seven July, there was some a nasty incident there too with the trains and buses. Um, and though that fear and the fear of um people threatening to do things on planes has made it really difficult if you go through Heathrow, or you go through JFK really difficult to get through the airport right you've got screening you've got you know you, you can't have a bottle more than 100 milliliters to get on the plane they check you know your hair gel to make sure it's not explosive and you can you know get that thrown away your whole new kit you just bought at the shop at the airport which you think they would have you know managed that but anyway you have to take your shoes off your belt off your laptop now that is all that whole process, which costs money, costs more stuff for them. It's a big pain in the ass for anyone who has to catch an airplane. Um, is there um, as a as a, a functional change to your life? More things you have to do, slow things down because of a security concern, which is that you know one in a million chance that someone um, will you know uh, try to take down an a- airplane or you know have something in their shoes. So they do all these things to minimize that chance now that's exactly the same with capture on your website or bots um you know some of that could be just um with a with an airplane you know taking down an airplane is pretty damn serious and will affect a lot of people uh with a website you know you could say that's not so much serious but um if you're stealing people's information or selling that on the black market that can be quite serious um so you do need to worry about these things um so that if you think about When you're doing your work just think about slow website and think about capture Uh, just keep those in the back of your head there and then that should be a trigger next time you're doing a web app for example and it can be any application uh that you need to worry about some things we take the extreme um the extreme level here we'll just ramp it up from planes and terrorists to nuclear power stations um and the fact that for example um say you write some requirements for a new uh control system for a nuclear power station right you might go well you know okay this is a bit scary um but you know i understand what they want they want this button to do the following and this button to do that and they want some overrides and all the rest of it now if you've ever been involved in mission what we call mission critical requirements uh you'll probably know that firstly those requirements need to be clear and the business rules need to be tight. And there's a lot of uh peer review there. But equally the language, even the um, I'm gonna talk about programming languages here. The uh we use some we get, when they program these features or these functions, uh the language they use isn't all the mod con languages like, you know, React or JavaScript and all these ones that you use to to use the website. They actually use uh languages that are more closely related to the operating system or uh, C, for example, um, which is an old programming language, is used for control units for security in a lot of companies. And the amount of steps that the programmer writes, and then uh, you know the amount, sorry, the amount of steps it takes for that uh, lang that those con- those commands, those functions, to be transferred, uh, compiled to the actual hardware are really low and so the chance of having um, a bug or um, something going wrong or um, the speed of that code not running fast enough or uh, any any chance of anything going wrong between the the kind of uh, programming language and the speed of that and the hardware is lessened and so uh, those in that situation what do you think non-functional requirements uh would would be in terms of the list of priorities it would be right up there right uh the speed if something went wrong you would have you know they have would have to be uh, milliseconds or less than milliseconds in terms of override um you would have to have lots of um you know error checking you would have to know if things were going wrong there would have to be hardware checks there would have to be all sorts of bits and pieces so you might find that the functional requirements around just having some buttons to control something are far little uh, far smaller than the list of non-functional requirements you need to have so that's just an example of environment can actually change and technology can change uh, what you may need uh, in regards to the length and the amount of effort you put into your non-functionals so we talked about the fact that you're focusing on the how versus the what in terms of non-functional requirements, um, and we talked about the fact that non-functional requirements describe how a system should work or how those steps should be carried out. Because uh, it may it's a system in the in the sense of IT, but it also could be um, a physical system. Uh, it also should state what the system should not do okay so you we talked about the fact that a login system needs to be secure but it also should uh for example uh, maybe say that um what it shouldn't do for example and maybe if you've entered your name um into a website uh, email for example in the sending of email even though you can do it in a secure way Email isn't secure, okay? So don't think for a minute that your emails are secure. They really are not secure. Uh, a message within uh, your WhatsApp um, is actually more secure than your email, okay? If you've got end-to-end um, encryption on. Uh, emails are not encrypted. They're text. So it's very, they're very, very, very easy to hack unless you're using a secure email system, which is um which is wrapped on top of it but gmail hotmail not not so lucky so for example uh, it's not a great idea to ever email a password to a user so if you and I I I sometimes shake my head when there are some quite you know well-to-do websites or websites doing quite well where I reset my password or you know, I asked for it to be changed, or i do I forgot my password option, and it actually emails me the password um one you know it's not I haven't even logged in, so it, it there's no way the system knows it's me. I just know that this email adri- you know I might put my email address in, and that's it, so a lot of people know my email address I've emailed them all the time, so for example, I don't know, it could be your ex you know someone that you were seeing previously. Uh, maybe they you know you you didn't have a good breakup they know your email address they could put your email address in they could click forgot password maybe you shared your password they can get into your email and then now know what your password is there Uh, there's a high likelihood that the password you've used for that website is another one or very close to a password you've used for other websites and now i can get into all your websites and i can see i don't know who um uh, what your life's like, and, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're banking at, which is luckily probably more secure than anything else. So this, this, this is the kind of use cases that you need to think about here. Um, the other thing around non-functional requirements is they, they're they talking about, I guess, uh, kind of quantitative areas. So when you're talking about, we're talking about speed, time, measurables here, so you might say this, uh, for example, uh, the uh, there's a functional requirement around the ability for the. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna use uh, user story <laughs> uh, proper uh, um, kind of terminology here. However, non-functional requirements should and can be written in story form. But let's just say, as a um, website application, uh, I would like to uh load within two seconds so that users are not frustrated and move on or try and refresh the page um you know what i mean and so that's the example there whereas that's how you can write those requirements if you like so usually it's as a and then it's the solution that you're doing uh if you're more comfortable and you're writing a, f- a functional requirement uh, split the non-functional out um because even if and there's a bit of confusion here so for example i've said as a user, I want to be able to log log on with my username and password uh, as an existing user. Actually, let's take this. As an existing user, so this is a different uh user story to creating my account. So as an existing user, I want to use my username, email, address, and selected password so I can log on to the application so I can view my details and be securely logged in. So that might be just a really high-level uh, user story uh to start off with and you may have a non functional requirement that's linked to that, which is around um the fact that the password needs to be X amount of characters. Now, the reason I bring this up is that a lot of people can write that within the functional requirement as a business rule. And that's okay too. But I do think it's probably worth um looking at the response to that requirement and writing a non functional. What do I mean by that? Have you ever done a sequence diagram, right? Uh, then you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't done a sequence diagram, think about a baton. Okay, think about a baton. So as a, a existing user, I want to log in with my username and password. That's the function. Now, what happens next? What logically happens next? And a lot of you might say, well, then I can see my uh, d- desktop. Well, I'm logged in successfully, you know, if I've got my details right. And, you know, that's cool what actually happens next what actor what uh actor is as an as a actor what actor is playing their part next so well the baton uh is actually being handed over to the system what do i mean by that so as you log on your details are being sent to the application right your username password and that it was it's going to see you know does that It's going to do a couple of things. It's probably going to see, is the email registered? So are you an existing user? And it's going to check your password. And it's going to make sure that your password matches the password that it has on its system to know that you are who you are. And then it's probably going to check that even though you are who you say you are, uh, what access you have. And then it's going to, you know, give you that access. For example, if your account has been suspended, it might send you back to a suspension page um you know and if your email address isn't correct or uh, you're not registered or your password isn't correct then it needs to show that message or it might take you to a forgot password area now so that baton the solution there's a reply to the requirement this is the mindset you as a ba need to worry about no you're not a systems analyst you're not a solution designer but you should know in a general logical sequence that there is a reply, that something, a process happens. So the process is actually, you know, if you drop down logging in, it's taking your details and it's doing something. It's doing functions, by the way. Functions, it's doing functions. And some of those functions there are actually require you to tell it what you want it to do from a non-functional point of view, right? So you're assuming that it knows how to do the login. That's okay. And sometimes you don't need to get to that level. But what i would say is and have another requirement underneath the logging in existing user and you might say as a system i want to apply you could just say best practice uh login uh, security to verify accounts maybe and then you list what is that and so then the the uh, devs could have that as a separate card and then they could go through that you could equally include that within the functional story and say, you know, the acceptance criteria are A, B, C, D, 3. But you need to explicitly say if there's anything special you want that to happen. And when I say special, that's over and above a pattern you have defined. So if you say best practice, that doesn't mean anything. But if you've got a standard at your organization for logging in, like a pattern, you don't have to write it every single time you write a login. You might say um, our standard um security pattern for logging in to a website. And then that's defined as a separate document. Okay, so you do. That's the good way of triggering non-functional requirements. But it's also making you think about them by looking at the baton and the reply to it. And so drawing a sequence diagram or going down to the steps, knowing that data travels from your step to the system and back is really important. Um, You might say, Ben, you know, that's too much work. Well, it is if you're drawing a process diagram, this is what I suggest you do. Just show that there's an arrow between your process of logging in and existing user flow because it will be different to, um, there will be different gates for a new user. Show an arrow going down to the system and then, because it could be a, a separate system. of The website it could be an authentication system and then show an arrow back. And then you're following the arrow and then you're thinking about um, the login. So in that case, when I say an arrow back, you would have a box login to system for example uh, existing user logging in system that would be your actor on there and maybe a timing indicator Uh, it logs down to your system your authentication system or your web app and then an arrow up to the next step so you could say well there's now a decision which is um you're not uh verified and it could go back to a page of like sign up or uh you've forgotten your username and password and move on to the next step so you know going There is no problem with your process diagram showing those system steps in a bottom swim lane, for example, and then connecting an arrow down there and then showing what the reply is. And then you're using the baton technique all the way through. And that's actually, even if you're just using it and and then um, actually hiding those steps, those system steps later for presentation purposes, um, it actually makes you think of all the non-functional requirements you need to think about. Uh, And what you could do in the arrow is write down the timing that's expected or at least the minimum maximum time that's expected for that to happen. Okay. so if you just say uh, you could even do it on the login step, you could say, well, logging in, you know, that should take X amount of time. And when you talk about um, when it's a new system, uh, that should be or you're using new technology, new system or new technology, uh, you should be explicit about that timing. Or say the whole time to to log in or to navigate on the website uh it needs to be quite fast and when we mean fast when you might say um as fast as this website uh you know and you can measure the speed for that okay so we've just talked about um security and speed uh, but there's also the performance of the system which is around speed it's a subcategory of um but there's other performance steps in there the other area that is uh, important is kind of like around availability. So availability is uh, how often is the website available? And sometimes I notice, for example, um, some American-based websites, uh, Ancestry.com is one of them. Um, you'll find that the maintenance jobs that they run every night to run their scripts or do whatever uh, happens in the middle of the night for an American. Or you know there's different time zones in the states but generally at a at a time where most people would be sleeping and what that means and actually xbox does the same sometimes uh or some games do it um the performance in new zealand which is kind of at the other side of the world um it degrades and so they're like oh uptime's fine because no one's using it but they haven't thought about the fact that that website and their, their customer base is actually over the other side of the world as well, so that's another problem. The other thing is that sometimes systems do break, but you have to have a as uptime as a is a measure we use in terms of in terms of availability how often it's going to be available uh, if you're on a cloud system you generally inherit that availability so if they have an outage you have an outage uh we have things around reliability uh, but the one I want to just jump into here because this is a Um, area which can get very confused when you're a BA, and so I just want to make it really clear that a non-functional requirement, one of the non-functional requirement areas, is usability. And for some people, that can be a bit of a shock. Usability, usability means a lot of stuff. I, I like the fact that usability in there, as opposed to what used to be called a design or content, but usability is a better a better term. And it's about not just uh, the, it can impact the features that you have, um, but it makes you think about the design of your website. And sometimes the design of the website, which is done, you know, maybe after you've done your first cut of requirements, uh, you just kind of just have them as pictures throughout your spec. Well, I do anyway, and I point to the requirements. But this is another area which triggers a whole lot of non-functional requirements. So if you think about usability, I'm going to talk about some basic usability, and then I'm going to talk about some specific usability we should all be worried about. So Some basic usability is the design of the screens. okay? It's the fact that if you're using a system which is made for um, data entry purposes, you've got tabs in and all the information that you enter more often or not is probably at the top, and the stuff you enter later is down below. So you, uh, requirements around, they're all non-functional requirements. And I'm thinking about uh, Dynamics 365 or Salesforce, where you might have someone who's just drag and dropping, configuring your system, you know, adding some custom fields. Those non-functional requirements there around uh, screen layout, they should be requirements. They should be non-functional requirements. And so, for example, yeah, it should be around, well, you know, I want to easily be able to enter this. You should be prompting your users. You should be asking questions around this sequence in which they enter their information or, um, you know, are they going to be using a tablet? Are they going to be using a mouse? Uh, can the screen, can the screen resize automatically to tablet? I actually just spent some time working on a, a project that I'm involved in, and I was doing some very simple landing page website work, drag and dropping some stuff for this uh, kind of MVP we're trialing out. And I completed it, and I thought it looked pretty good, to be honest. I'm not a designer, but I was using a template, and I was mucking around, and I got it sorted, and I thought it was good. And I sent it to a friend of mine who clicked on the link. Now, I was using my PC, my laptop, and he was looking at it on his mobile device. And he clicked on the website, and he said, oh, okay. And I thought, oh, man, that's a bit gutting. I just spent, you know, a good half day on this and i clicked on the link on my mobile phone and the website wasn't what we call responsive or not well responsive design or when it was being responsive it was moving things around so responsive design is the ability for a web app to kind of respond to the type of device you've got based on its size which is all fine and dandy but in this case there were some videos on there and there was some text and it moved everything around and i could read everything but it looked bad so sometimes people uh, especially with the move to mobile devices uh, a lot of people you have a non-functional requirement around mobile first and mobile first means design for mobile so it looks good on that and then manage the desktop version after the fact and that was that's a lesson for me because i'm gonna have to redo it and or pay someone to do it and uh, I should have designed for mobile first. I should have designed on a small screen and then allowed it to stretch out for uh, for web work. So that's a non-functional area that's uh, uh, important when it comes to usability. So we've got those usability requirements around how people are going to be using it, what their preferences are. If you start getting into colors, then you really need to start to say, well, you know, changing this from if it's an out-of-the-box product like Dynamics or uh salesforce and they're saying can i have that can i allow that button to be blue then you know you end up with the blue button scenario where you need to really talk about cost that's preference that's not usability you also need to think about if it's external not just you so what do i mean by that wow a large percentage of our population uh in the world uh if you're looking at, at launching to the world don't speak english so what are you going to do about bilingual languages are you going to have a language pack which does its best to change the language are you not going to bother uh if you're in a situation like new zealand where we actually have an indigenous uh indigenous people the maori they you know that that's hugely important to us as new zealanders or to most new zealanders anyway and uh, we're trying to promote uh maori as a language well, most government websites need to be in both in Māori and English. Okay, there are two um, major languages there, as well as sign language. So, for example, if you are, um, for example, someone who's blind, um, then you need screen readers to read your website. And if you put an image on your website and you don't put text, then uh, the whole experience of that image uh, is, will just not have any impact if uh for someone who has who's blind or has low vision now there is something called alt tags alternative tags alt tags in websites and you can actually add a tag in there you can describe what the picture is and if you go to a website and you add your alt tags in then people with low vision they can the screen reader will say there is an image on the right of you know a person kicking a soccer ball uh, and then so they get more of a um interest around that sometimes you know it could be video about whatever and then they can play it so they know that it's a uh, a video so they can click on the video and at least listen to it um google also will look for alt tags it uses it for indexing and making sure that your content is good and it actually gives you a better rating it's called ECO. Uh, search engine optimization. It'll give you a better rating on Google if you've got alt tags on your website. So that's usability. Is not just thinking about uh, you know the the simplest uh, design features. We're also thinking about um, those who may have not had the same abilities as yourself, uh, or people that speak a different language to yourself. Uh, people, a lot of colorblind men out there. Generally, there are women who are colorblind, but men is a huge percentage because men don't generally talk about their things, but I know a lot of people that are colorblind, if your website uses colors that are really hard to be seen by someone who's colorblind, they may not be able to read your text. And so you're actually making them a little bit, uh, you know, you're, you're actually uh, making it really difficult for them to navigate your website. Now, the I guess there's a spectrum here. If you're, if you're, if you are got a very targeted audience and you think that dis- disabilities have uh, one way or another, aren't important, and you're just one of those kind of people. Then maybe you don't really care about that, and you know, good on you. Whatever, if that's your preference, go for it. Uh, but it doesn't mean anyone's going to read your website. It doesn't mean that you know people you didn't know, um, who had a disability. Maybe it's something like someone who's dyslexic and can't read big words, and you're using big words on your website. Well, you're going to limit who wants to visit your website, and you're going to really isolate yourself. Plus, you, uh, Google's not going to do a good job of allowing your website to be clear across the internet. Now, if we go to the other extreme, and you're, for example, um, working with a specific group of people that may have different abilities or different skills to you, uh, for example, you're working with Indigenous people, and you're a web design company that only you know, doesn't have an expert in Indigenous languages, then, you know, that is something, that's a really important, I would almost say, functional and non-functional requirement that needs to be captured, and cost, because you're going to have to get someone to translate all your content into the native language that you're using, you need to understand that, there might be differences of design just because of that, there might be specific colors, or even navigation, or even ways of expressing uh, different elements of the website that, for example, that you wouldn't have thought about, or you wouldn't have come up when you're working with another client so non-functional requirements are hugely important they're, you know as we said that the attribute that describe how a system function uh not what it does uh, and there's an emphasis um there's an emphasis that they are really really important now we're going to move to well okay who writes them so if you have a if you're an internal uh, team or you're working with an architecture team, they may have a great list of non-functional requirements you should worry about. And they may even ask this during, say, architectural review. So I would say first go to the architecture team and ask them about non-functional requirements. It is your job as a BA to talk to users and to think about these and prompt them. But I would suggest just looking to see if there's a common list of that you should go through, as well as anything you think of. So if you think of something that's not on their list, it's valid if it gets brought up it's valid response time uptime you know um how often upgrades happen all those things are really 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 important so if they're not on the list add them okay it's not around having a perfect list it's just making sure that those uh, things that are important for whatever application system process you're improving are put together uh you know having templates having checklists having articles on non-functional requirements are really important Um, having them listed in the project plan as a piece of work you need to do, not just the functional requirements. Have you captured the requirements? Yes, I'm going to do a whole work on non-functional requirements. Uh, Doing interviews uh, on non-functional requirements on experts in those areas are really important. Uh, Make sure that you are uh, spending time on this and making sure that everyone on your project is aware of it. Now, before we go today, before we get on, I want to just talk about Some real life examples just to bring in the importance of non-functional requirements here. Why I'll just give you three examples that have happened, you know, relatively recent in recent history. When in um there was a new website that was going to be launched called healthcare.gov. Okay, it was supposed to be launched in 2013. And this is in the States. So if you live in America, you may know about this. This was all to do with uh, health insurance and changes in that area now no one thought about and this is another non functional requirement uh which is scalability okay i'm not I'm, I'm purposely not giving you the list so you can go and actually research this a bit of homework but scalability is really important and this is uh this is scalability has hit us in recent times because of covid-19 and people accessing information on mass and so a lot of times things fail because they were written to handle 100,000 visits, not a million visits. Okay, so scalability and performance of of the functions, when you've got lots of people on board, and security, they were all overlooked. So there were no functional requirements really focused on here. They probably worked with a design firm, and they got the functions done. And so what happened was that that website, healthcare.gov, it crashed due to overwhelming traffic. Okay, so it meant that millions of Americans could not enroll in health care insurance, and what it meant it looked politically terrible. I think it was Obama at the time it looked terrible uh for uh the Democrats at the time who had rolled out this new uh, f- uh, function. It cost lots to repair because the architecture, the way in which the system was designed it never no one had ever thought about the fact that millions of Americans or tens of millions of Americans would want to access the website on the same time. Now that doesn't mean you need to spend hundreds of billions of dollars allowing that to happen. Uh, You can deal with peak performance. Uh, But what they could have done was just had like a queuing system. And there's some problems with that design as well. Uh, You know, you have a queue system, like if you buy tickets for a sporting event or a, um, for example, you buy tickets for to see a band you like. This happens all the time. You'll notice you go into a queue, and so you just get let in. And they're really a really good experts actually about dealing with high volume um, requests at one time uh, without having you know hugely expensive uh, long term equipment and design that allows that to happen every day or you know every single event. So they're good people to speak to if you are going to scale quickly to that level. Uh, sometimes it's not possible to worry about scale you just become really popular a popular website uh, just becomes popular overnight as a fad and your website crashes that's kind of different to rolling out a, a government website that everyone should have access to now yeah there was huge reputational uh, damage this was in 2013 uh, reputational damage it was costly repairs it was a disaster all because those non-functional requirements weren't uh, just a checklist wasn't gone through. They should have known that there could have been a chance of uh, a scalability problem there. There was also an example with Knights Capital. There was a trading glitch in two thousand and twelve. Uh, software testing is you could say as a as a now a, um, an integrated part of your project plan, but it's actually a non-functional requirement. And risk management or the management of risk wasn't uh, those two things weren't. Uh, measured well or taken care of so no one was worried about the uh what would happen if there was a mistake and what would be the consequences there so in that example uh there was a problem with an algorithm uh within the trading mechanism uh and what it did uh is it meant that there was a problem with they weren't able to uh Uh, execute these trades, these high-speed trades. And, you know, trading is hugely important. I mean, it's one of the areas where I know that, for example, Rupert Murdoch, I have a friend of mine who worked for uh, Routers, which Rupert Murdoch owns. He's a very rich Australian guy who owns a lot of media around the world and owns Fox News. So if you're from the States, this is your buddy. So he, you know, he's a character uh, uh, and has strong political views on the right. But equally, he also makes most of his money, not from his news outlets. he makes his money from trading foreign exchange and doing other bits and pieces. Now, there's no law or, uh or stopping uh Rupert from spending multi billions of dollars on having better equipment than everyone else and so this friend of mine was working for um doing some work for routers um which was which is the company that sends information through stock exchange and and news. And he was installing these very premium routers with routers, sorry, routers for routers. Uh, it gets a bit confusing. But effectively, uh, switches, which allowed information to travel through routers much quicker than the competition, which actually meant that uh, Rupert's trading team, uh, it's not him, um, it's, he's got thousands of people that work for him, um, allowed them to get information very quickly and they were able to execute on trades. So that was done the right way uh from what i hear um however this example here was you know there was a faulty algorithm they didn't do testing they didn't think about the cost of doing extensive testing what would be the reputational cost they lost 440 us million in 45 minutes okay and it meant that they they lost so much money uh and the shareholders you know no one was happy and uh, the investors weren't happy and they got acquired by a competitor as a result so you've got to be really, in in those examples, you could say mission critical. I would say, well, you know, trading is a kind of a bonus, uh, but still it is tr- uh, critical to that organization. And so if you're ahead of testing there, you would need to really push for that and work with the BA to make sure that uh, people are aware of the testing. And if they decided to go uh, live with a change, um, uh, without everything being tested To the nth degree then you need to make it really clear from a risk management point of view that um, we're outside the risk profile that the board expects or the organization as well it could even recover from i'll give you one uh, more it was around target Uh, so target is in australia but it's also in the us Um, and they had a data breach in 2013 so there was a data security breach and access control, so around security, these both security uh, non-functionals. Access control. So what happened was that they really hadn't um, implemented modern-day security techniques around access. Okay, so things like we did talk about modern passwords, we talk about resetting passwords, we talk about two-factor th- authentication. They just weren't up to the speed. And and the problem with these large organisations like uh Target and even if you're not Amazon or Google or tech company it's even more important Walmart Target all those big companies uh McDonald's they need to be at the forefront of technology as well um so what happened was effectively hackers stole personal information there were 70 million customers there um they not only that is that the way in which they stored information they were able to get into the user accounts but they were also able to get into their credit card numbers so they shouldn't been storing that information uh, in a place where you know if there was an access threat that uh, information could they could get to both personal information as well as financial information like credit card information and they also connected to their address information okay um it ended up costing just in direct uh expenses about 200 million for them to solve and it tarnished its brand image um you and I were pretty bad, I would say. Uh, most people are pretty bad at kind of ignoring that or even knowing a data leak happened. I actually got notified the other week, just had a little a little email suggesting that there was a data breach on a, a big application on um that I've used. I can't actually remember what it was. I have to go through my inbox. Um and I knew it was bad. It meant that mostly my information was gonna be leaked. Uh I do respect those companies that come out and then tell you. There has been a data breach. We highly recommend you change your password because they've got your password. Um, And even if there isn't a direct uh, stealing of your information or your credit card information in terms of you needing to cancel your credit card, at least they're coming out and telling you that your password's been stolen so you can reset that. uh, Google has some good tools for telling you if you've been hacked and your password's been put on the internet. So they're just some examples. I just want to emphasize how important non-functional requirements are. I'll summarize by saying they're not optional extras. They are critical for system success. Uh, Ignoring non-functional requirements can lead to costly failures, reputational damage, political damage, even business collapse. Uh, You need to proactively identify, prioritize, and manage non-functional requirements. They should be a whole area on your requirements matrix. They should be on your backlog. Uh, You need to worry about user experience. You need to worry about data security. You need to worry about availability, performance, uh, scalability, and business continuity. So I hope you've learned something today, and I'll speak to you next time. Remember to think about non-functional requirements.